Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. And once she started drinking the Charlie drink, millions of her followers who needed to record themselves buying and drinking the drink and then going on YouTube and posting a review of the drink. It's not about the drink and it's not about the person, but it existed in this ecosystem where it now provided an opportunity for people to produce their own content. But it really made me think at the time was, yeah, the reason this is so powerful is because everybody thinks that's the case, that they don't care. i tell you what's interesting that starts to annoy me a little. Is it me? I'm both interesting and annoying. <laughs> I've heard that. Yes, that, okay, that's right. very true. That's yeah, the yeah. truest thing that you've said for, for, for weeks on this show. Yeah, Do you know well, that? I mean, I'm, I'm a truth teller. <laughs> Annoyingly, I'm a truth teller. So, Colin, as you know, I teach an introductory marketing course uh, yep. to MBA students. Semester's coming to a close as we're recording this. And so I recently got to teach my favorite lectures, um, which are those on communications. Okay, cool. Yep. So we talk about advertising and other forms of communications. I get to show a bunch of funny commercials. It's, um, it's my favorite lecture to teach. So I had an insight a couple of years ago as I was teaching this, and I've changed the way that I've taught some of it. And I thought that I would, I would share it on the podcast, and you and I could discuss it a little bit. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. So what what's the overall subject? So we're going to talk about why things go viral and what we can okay. do to encourage viral content. And it's actually more applicable even than that. It's, it's anything about indirect communication. So public relations, influencers, viral content, all these things okay. I think kind of fit under this umbrella. And you know what will be going viral as well shortly, don't you? I'm afraid to hear your answer. Tell me your answer, Colin. It will be this on YouTube because there you know we that we're now you know, we're now broadcasting these on YouTube. So if you haven't seen Ryan and I, then please go to YouTube. Yeah, um, speaking of viruses, uh, absolutely, yeah. And you know what? There's no vaccination for it. <laughs> <laughs> this is our natural disease state, and there's nothing to do about it. No, absolutely, no. Sorry, mate, I interrupted you. Uh, no, no, that's that's very helpful. I'm not like any of your students. Do they just sit there and just go, oh, Lord, he, he is our master. He is the yes. font of all knowledge. Yeah. No, that's completely <laughs> what it is. Um, no, you've apparently never met an MBA student. that. They do push back a lot on stuff that I teach, which leads to interesting discussions, which is something good. that I very much enjoy. It's good that, that some of you are watching this on YouTube because I'm going to be using my hands here in kind of a modern dance kind of way to right. illustrate some things. Those of you listening on audio will just have to imagine. One of the diagrams that I draw on the board over and over again throughout the course of the semester when I'm teaching introductory marketing is a, just a simple Venn diagram with three circles. We talk about value to the company, value to the customer and value to collaborators or collaborators or any other business entities that are involved. So it could be consultants if they're vital to this transaction. It could be your retailers, 
distributors, any other outside entity. Uh, and the idea is that we need to hit the, the middle point in that Venn diagram where everybody is getting something out of the transaction or it's going to fail. Right. So far, so good. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'll, I'll teach cases where we'll do the analysis and we'll figure out like, oh, this decision made a lot of sense for the company, but they really weren't leaving a lot on the table for the customers or their collaborators were not on board with this. And that's why I failed. So everybody needs to be getting something out of this. All right. So far, so good. Yep. When we want something to go viral or alternatively, when we want our public relations campaign to work, then that person who's communicating is our collaborator. Let's start with PR because I think that's a little simpler. So we've got a story to tell and then we want that story to get out to customers. And so we're going to send out a press release to a bunch of reporters and we want them to tell our story. If we want that to happen, we need to understand the source of value that those journalists want, that they need, so that we can provide that to them. What most firms do when they want to run a PR campaign is they'll print up a press release, send out a press packet, and it's like, well, here's the announcement of the thing we're doing, and here's a quote from our president, and he's very excited, and here's a quote from a client, and she's very excited. And then it goes out to all these reporters, and nobody cares. Nobody cares. Your reporters do not care about what you're doing. Right. If we want our story to be spread, we need to figure out what does the reporter need, right? So for example, the example I use in class is if we're in a down economy, there's usually reporters who are wanting to write green shoots stories. Like they want to tell a story about how the economy is turning around. So if you've done something in your business that is like you're launching a new product and so you've hired new employees, nobody cares about your new product or about your hiring new employees. But there are some reporters out there who might care about that as evidence of the story that they want to write anyway. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're really talking here about framing. Yes. Uh, in terms of like framing the story so that they understand the value to them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Putting the, the same story over, but in the context of whatever it is that they're... What they care about. What, what their needs are. Yeah. yeah. So um, let me tell you the story of the most successful PR campaign I'm, I'm aware of to illustrate this point. Right? So there's a company out of uh, the San Francisco Bay Area called American Giant, and they make hoodies. They, they make sweatshirts. These are really nice sweatshirts. They cost $150 or so. Uh, I actually own uh, an American Giant hoodie, and it is my nice hoodie. Like, this is my dress hoodie. This is the one that I wear to weddings and things. And so they they didn't have a lot of money, and so they wanted to, to run a PR campaign. And so they needed to figure out if they could get a reporter to tell the story of their company. So they could have, like, sent out a press release to, like, the fashion pages of some newspaper. But why would the fashion reporter care about this sweatshirt company? And how many of their target customers are going to be reading the fashion section of the New York Times anyway? So what they did instead is they went to a technology columnist at Slate magazine. So Slate is a, a company that they anticipated a lot of their customers, their target customers would read. And they were very interested in technology. A lot of technology people kind of like sweatshirts, like hoodies. So they went to this uh, technology columnist named Farhad Manju. And they pitched him the story about this company. And they said, we're, we're a sweatshirt company, but we're really a technology company. 
that makes sweatshirts. So they said, we've hired a bunch of Apple designers to design our sweatshirts. We use this kind of fail fast innovation model to design our sweatshirts. We prototype a bunch of stuff and test it and then change it and prototype it and test it again. And we manufacture in the US and then we uh, we only distribute through our website. So we, we don't distribute in traditional retail. So really we're a tech company. We just make sweatshirts. And this technology columnist was interested. So he'd probably written about, you know, computer companies for the last 40 weeks. Right. And now yeah. somebody who's giving him kind of a fresh story. Sure. New perspective that still fit with what we're going to do. So he said, all right, I'll go down. I'll, I'll tour your factory. So he did. And, and they showed him around. They explained what made the sweatshirts better. And, and so he wrote a story called, this is the greatest hoodie ever made. And then talked about how great the hoodies were and about the technology that they used. It crashed their website. So all of these tech people read the, the column and they went immediately. They had to redesign their website, all the servers. They sold out of everything. Within just a few days, they would take your money and then promise to send you a sweatshirt eventually because they were just out of stock. It was like, I think I had to wait six months for mine because it was just so sold out so far in advance. And it was, it was successful because they understood the value of this columnist. They, they met his needs. He was able to tell a fun and interesting technology story that met his needs. And as a result, the benefit went to the company. It's making me think of, um, and I hope I'm not stealing any of your thunder. Did you ever see that one, um, United Breaks Guitars? Yes, I teach that case. Go ahead and tell the story. Yeah, I wasn't going to mention it here, but it, that's a fantastic example. It is, and, we, and we'll put a link in the in the show notes for the people that haven't seen it. Basically, it was this Canadian group, I think, who were flying from somewhere to somewhere on a United flight. They had a gig, and they've got their Taylor guitars, and a Taylor guitars are an expensive guitar. Yeah, very nice guitars. Yeah, the Taylor guitar got broken. Okay. And they ended up liaising with the United, who took no notice of them, basically. Yeah, that gave them the runaround for about a year. Yeah, absolutely. It was awful. Yeah. So they decided that what they were going to do was they were going to um, create a song. And the song is great. I love it. Oh, it's great. Yeah. I don't care for country music. I could listen to that song all day long. It's It's really fun. And it's called United Breaks Guitars. And and the imagery, and again, we'll put a link in the show notes, the imagery is great. And I remember when that broke, everyone was killing themselves laughing. Now, the interesting bit was, A, it was picked up a lot on the on a lot of the news channels, yep. CNN and various different places. But I think one of the things that also it came about, because it, it talked about the customer service or the lack of it and the way that they were treated with indifference. I think that was actually a word they used in the song. But it really made me think at the time was, yeah, the reason this is so powerful is because everybody thinks that's the case, that they don't care. Yeah. And this was just a manifestation of it in a fun way, in a great catchy song. It was really something that really went viral, wasn't it? Yeah. And so if we look at it from the perspective of, and this is a nice transition here, like, if we look at it from the perspective of like the collaborator, now this is like an anti-collaborator, right? Like <laughs> United did not want this story told and it did not want to get out. I believe that it resulted in a like significant and noticeable dip in United's share prices for a yes. while. Like this did yes. serious damage. 
But the, he didn't tell that story musically. He didn't tell that story because of like some benefit or harm that he wanted to come to United. He was serving his own needs. He wanted to tell this story and he was able to get it out. And the fact that he had a sense of humor and that he was talented musically meant that other people were going to pick it up and share. But then now they became collaborators or anti-collaborators in this chain. So if I saw that song and then I shared it with somebody else, why did I do that? Why did somebody share that video? So they, I guess they would have shared it, A, because they thought it was fun, B, because they thought that it was sort of, to a certain extent, a bit of a warning, isn't it? That, you know, yeah. this, this type of thing happens and, you know, traditionally the, the, the airlines don't care, basically. And there's sort of an affinity there, isn't there? Exactly. When things fail to go viral, it is often because the, the firms that are putting this stuff out fail to anticipate the needs that drive things forward. So I see a lot of funny stuff that I don't share with anybody. When I share something, it's because I have some relational goal that I want met. So when I share funny content, it's mostly because I want to make somebody else happy or I want to inform somebody else of something. It's got nothing to do with your brand. In fact, I, I was in an ad agency several years ago and they had chalkboards on the walls all around the agency. And so all of the agency creatives would just draw stuff on there. And it was great. Lots of really fun imagery that they would do. And I, I took a picture of, of something that I saw on the wall and I, I share it in my classes Somebody had written in big, colorful block letters. It says, I tell my friends about your brand, not because I like your brand, but because I like my friends. Right. And, and that's the key insight. If you want something to go viral, if somebody loves your product, like I love the American Giant sweatshirts. Like I, it's a great sweatshirt. Outside of class, when I'm telling the story, I've told almost nobody about them. Because it doesn't serve my relational needs. Don't you also share some of those things because of what it says about you? Yes, absolutely. So there's relational needs and then there's self-presentation needs and self-definition needs. But we need to understand like what are the needs that this thing... It's not enough to make something great, right? It's not enough even to have a great customer experience. If we want something to go viral, it's got to serve those needs. And so part of the reason that that humorous content often goes viral is because it serves a relational and sometimes a self-presentation need where I want to make you happy as my friend. And so this will, I think, make you happy or inform you. The self-perception or not the self, what did you just call yeah, it? Yeah, self-perception or self-definition. Yeah, it is sort of going, maybe this is something that I feel that I stand for or exactly. I support or uh, oh, I like to think that I do. Right. Maybe that's even more or I want people to think that I do, right? I might share something that's about the environment because I care about it deeply and so therefore I want to express it or because I, I want to signal some virtue and I want people to think nicer things about me than I actually believe about myself or because I think that they might care about it. So all of the, I mean, think about all of the emails that are forwarded to us or all the memes that are forwarded to us from family members, you know, from your grandma or from your children or from your grandchildren. A lot of times my teenage kids will want to sit down with my wife and I and share a bunch of TikToks 
that they like. And some of them mean nothing to me. I, I don't even understand why they find it funny. Sure. Um, but they're sharing it because they want to share something that's important to them or that they found funny, right? And so it's this relationship goal. Ryan, what's the scariest movie you've ever seen? Uh, I saw an old Vincent Price movie called House of the Long Shadows when I was a kid, and it kept me awake for days. And if you want to be kept awake for days, the one that scared me the most was the Intuitive Customer podcast that's now available on YouTube. It's really oh, scary. I, I want to change my answer. That's actually the scariest thing I've seen too. <laughs> Absolutely. So if you are interested in getting scared and watching Ryan and I attempt to do a podcast on YouTube, then just search for the Intuitive Customer podcast on YouTube and subscribe, won't you? We look forward to seeing you there. That clearly extends to anything, doesn't it? Yes. Um, You know, I mean, if I think of, as you were talking about it, if I think of what I share with my family, then I may share pictures of something with my family. It could even just be a family gathering or whatever else. And you're doing that because you think that they would be interested in it. They find it funny, you know, whatever it may be, basically. I mean, I, I, that's the way we should all be thinking about this because this, this, when we as, as marketers, when we as customer experience professionals want something to go viral, the motivations that make something go viral are not new. It's not like these motivations came about with social media. We've yeah. always had these motivations, yeah. right? Like it's you just say, the you're method sharing... that you're doing it is a lot faster. But exactly. I guess what you're saying is it's everybody in the chain, isn't it? Yes. It's understanding that there's a chain and it's understanding that there are different people within that chain. And if you therefore want it to be exponentially have an exponential growth, then you've got to appeal to everybody in that chain. That's right. You need to turn customers and and other people out in the world into collaborators by understanding what is important to them and delivering on that value. And that may be totally different from the source of value that you would provide to them as customers. Makes me wonder then, why do people and maybe this is a sort of slightly different topic, but it's a bit like trolling people or when people pile on to people, you know, because that's a form of viral, isn't it? Yep. Somebody says something and then everybody starts piling on saying how bad it was or whatever else. So what's happening there? So one of the motivations that we have as people is to be a part of something. So think of a positive example, like the ice bucket challenge that went viral several yeah. years ago, right? This was used to raise money for ALS. Why did so many people participate in that? Well, because it feels good to be a part of something, right? I think this is a part of the reason why we get into sports and especially when our team is winning, is it feels good to be a part of that community. This is why dances go viral on TikTok. Like we've seen other people do them. Now we want to do them ourselves and post them. I mean, I, to be clear, I have never done a TikTok dance. Um, I'll tell you what, the one I love is that sea shanty. Yeah. Yeah. One of my granddaughters loves it as well. So we're constantly playing this sea shanty song now, which you go, actually, 
sea shanties. Never thought I'd be playing sea shanties. No, no, I, I, that was not in my prediction set for 2020 or whenever that came out, uh, whenever that got big. There were some people who created that and then many more who shared it. Um, so there are some people who are actually contributing to that content, but many, many other people who shared it. And it, we shared it because it was unusual. Like, sea shanties was not something I knew. And it was delightful. Like, it was really good. Like, the people who did it were very talented. The, the music was a lot of fun. And it was a little bit funny in, in that it was so different and unusual. And so all of those things provided us with opportunities to share and to yeah. strengthen relationships and to signal that we were interesting people by liking this interesting thing. I'll tell you what's interesting that starts to annoy me a little. Is it me? I'm both interesting and annoying. <laughs> I've heard that. Yes, that, okay, that's okay. very true. That's yeah, the yeah. truest thing that you've said for 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 weeks on this show. No, Do you know well, that? I mean, I'm, I'm a truth teller. <laughs> Annoyingly, I'm a truth teller. Yeah. So we have a group uh, on uh, one of the messaging apps with our friends. Yeah. Okay. Somebody comes up with some bad news or some good news, and everybody then. It feels like you have to say something. You can't just not say anything. Yeah. Yeah. Because that goes back to what I think I said in the in the last show, which is not responding is actually responding. Right. Yeah. But you, somebody says, oh, I've just gone to the doctors and my left toe hurts. And everyone goes, oh, that's a shame. You're like the eighth person. Oh, I'm going to have to say it's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I'm just becoming a grumpy old man, but I've seen oh, I don't really want to say it's a shame. So I normally just put a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down or right. a sticker or something like that. But it's interesting on that, isn't it, that you feel the need to contribute or there's a social pressure to contribute as well, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you and I did a, a podcast uh, months ago at this point where we talked about the Dunbar number and some of the yes. research on that. Yes. And one Do of you the remember what the number is? Uh, this is no. a test because one, I know. 125? No. No. 50? 153, I think it was 58. 143. It's one no, of there's no things. way that's right. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> And do you, sorry, do you want to explain to us what the Dunbar number is? So Robin Dunbar did research on um, communities and kind of how large communities can grow before relationships essentially start to break down. Like we can only essentially afford to be close to a certain number of people just capacity wise. We can't keep track of that many people. And this varies by kind of strength of relationship. So your very, very closest friends is the smallest number and then casual acquaintances is a much larger number. Part of the one thing that I found interesting in as doing the background research for that episode, there's a research indicating that a large part of relationships is just time, time together. So we tend to get closer to people with whom we spend time and have conversations. And then as we don't spend the time, those relationships just naturally kind of decay. And so I think that this social pressure that you're talking about, where we feel a need to contribute and feel a need to respond and even feel a need to like share things, share memes and share thoughts. And share, some of that may just be relationship maintenance. And so it may be important, even if it feels obligatory, to kind of maintain that level. Yes, yes. And so, so again, going back to, to our original point, 
relationship maintenance is a goal. It is a need that people have so that you can help fulfill providing them content that they value and will share. Yes. And the opposite would be true. Providing them content that they don't want is not going to not going to help, etc. Well, I mean, a lot of our communications as marketers is intended to persuade people or to inform them. Um, and relatively little of it is intended to serve these relational or self-presentation needs that they have. But something to go really viral must hit all of those things. I mean, it, the danger is, is it sounds quite easy. And we know yeah, it is getting not things easy. to go viral is not easy. No, there are. I mean, the, the flip side of that is we all have these needs to share, right? Or, or rather, by sharing, we meet certain needs. The problem for, for marketers is that we now live in an environment where there's almost infinite content to share, right? So everybody's producing things that could potentially meet these needs. And so in order for something to go viral, it really has to meet those needs well. So if something is really funny or really surprising. And it needs to stand out from yeah, the crowd. Yeah, it's stand basically. out. That's to a certain extent where influencers come in, isn't it? Because they've obviously got a wide expanse of people and therefore can turbo boost all those types of things. Yes. So influencers can be bought. So when we think about that, that collaborative value circle, it's easier to get an influencer to share our message because we pay them to do that. And so they can get it out to a lot of people, but then it dies there. Unless that message that is shared by the influencer then creates some value for the people who would then share it on. So another example that I teach in class when I, I teach this, there's an influencer named Charlie D'Amelio, who's very, very big on TikTok. She's kind of the queen of TikTok. Uh, she was the first person on TikTok to reach 50 million followers, and then later was the first to reach 100 million followers. So she's, um, if you're not familiar with her, she's essentially famous for dancing for seven to nine seconds at a time. Um, that's kind of her skill set. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts worked with her to create a, a special coffee drink that she liked. They called it the Charlie. And so she posted videos of herself buying the Charlie drink at, at Dunkin' Donuts and drinking it, which is fine. Like that works kind of like traditional advertising. We've paid her. She's going to put the content out there. What made this different though, is that she had all of these followers who when she does a dance, a lot of times they will record themselves doing the dance and then post that because that serves a need that they have, both a, a kind of self-presentation need and a relationship sure. need. And once she started drinking the Charlie drink and ordering it, then you now had millions of her followers who needed to record themselves buying and drinking the drink and then going on YouTube and posting a review of the drink and then the people who saw that would do that. So again, it's not about the drink and it's not about the person, but it existed in this ecosystem where it now provided an opportunity for people to produce their own content and meet their own needs by doing that. Yeah, and I, I, as you were saying that, I, I could see that happening, but I would also imagine that there must be a, another group of people that would be recording a meme that is the opposite of that, that is taking taking the mickey, as we would say in England. Absolutely. And that may go viral because people find it funny. I was thinking of some examples of some politicians recently 
who have done something and then with one intent and then yeah. it's being used by the opposition for a different intent and it's people's imagination and gone a bit wild basically yeah and and depending on kind of what you're promoting and in what way there are some instances where that may not even be a bad thing so if, if people were like kind of hating on charlie and and the charlie drink you know they're still talking about it and then you're going to get another group who's going to respond back to them and keep that conversation going and so if you're selling this drink it may not be a bad thing even no, i think for politicians no, it's usually a bad thing but uh, yeah no absolutely Let me check. Is that that it? Because last week when I got to this point, you turned around and said, I've got this really insightful thing to say. And I just wondered if you'd got another one this week. Yeah, I have lots more insightful things, but I'm so insulted by the last time we recorded when you assumed that I was out of insights that uh, I'm going to withhold them. That's punishment. You're, it, you're insighted out, are you? That's right. I'll summarize. Like, If we want people to communicate on our behalf, whether it's yeah. the press, whether it's influencers, whether it's uh, customers talking to other customers. We need to understand the value that they get out of doing that. And we need to understand why they would do that. And we need to meet their needs as collaborators. And that that may be completely different than meeting their needs as customers. We could create something that is great for them as customers, yeah, but meets none of their needs for them to share it, in which case they won't share it. So that's my advice. Yeah, and sound advice, mate. I think the interesting thing for me is there's nothing new in things going viral. It's the technology that has enabled it, basically. And the speed that, you know, that, that it now happens is, is the key. But that's basically, it's the technology. And it goes back to what I've always said is, it's not that social media is new. Uh, well, social media is new, but actually it's, it's meeting the need of human beings to be social. If you understand the human aspect of these things, then you can then you can build on top of it. So that's exactly right. We've got a bunch of new tools, but humans aren't actually any different than we were before. No, absolutely. And talking about new tools and talking about technology and social media, if you could do us a favor and leave us a review, that would be really good. Ryan and I are always interested in uh, reading the new reviews, and it helps us get out ourselves out. And you never know, we may go viral one day. I don't know for what reason. Sharing some of our content with your friends and family can only strengthen those relationships. So really I don't should. think so. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Okay, everyone. Thanks very much for listening. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. The Intuitive Customer.